This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, I'm answering a really common question about how to find a doctor in my area who specializes in midlife women's wellness, and particularly in midlife women's hormone replacement. I'll be giving you all the tips and tricks in how to find that person here. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm really excited to answer this question today because I must get asked this, oh, at least half a dozen times a week, usually through email, because patients want to know how to find a really well-qualified women's midlife doctor slash hormone specialist in their area. Because if you don't live in Houston and it's difficult to travel to see me, it can be a little bit tricky to find somebody you know, we've talked about this before and nothing negative about your fantastic OB-GYN that you've had your whole life. But having been that person myself, I was in traditional OB-GYN for over 20 years. I was really busy delivering babies and doing hysterectomies and all the other things that really good OB-GYN doctors do. And I didn't know the first thing about menopause. And the little bit that I did know, I had about 10 or 15 minutes to talk to you about it. And that just is not sufficient when we're talking about this level of change in life, right? So how do you find somebody who might be a change from your regular OB-GYN? And also how do you navigate that relationship? This person who delivered all your kids and they've been close to your family for goodness knows how many years we can talk about that as well. And maybe it's the same person. I mean, it could be possible that like in my case, as your OB-GYN doctor got a little bit mature, and maybe if she's a female, she went through menopause herself, she might have been pushed to learn a whole lot more about it like I did. So I want to talk to you about those things and just generally where to start and what questions to ask. So I don't want to step on any toes, but one of the things that I generally recommend is finding a female physician who is maybe at least over 45 years old and probably over 50, because when you've been through menopause yourself or you've started to experience some of those symptoms, I can tell you, you look at the practice of menopausal medicine completely differently. When I was 35, I gave the most useless advice to women going through menopause because I just didn't get it. You can read about it in a book. You can go to courses, you can study, and there are some very good menopausal doctors who are men or younger women for sure. But if you have the opportunity to find a woman who has experienced it herself, I do believe you're going to get a slightly higher level of care and empathy because that happened to me. I became a completely different caregiver once I understood what it felt like having been in those shoes myself. So find their resume. Now, every doctor should have some type of resume posted on their website Honestly, if it's not a professional enough organization to have a very nice website, that's a little bit of a red flag right there. And just look in their bio about when they graduated from med school. So a little trick is that we usually graduate from medical school eh, around age 25 or so. So you can do the math and find someone who's at least 50, perhaps. If they are an OB-GYN, they spent another four years in residency. So we usually graduate from that and start work, you know, around 29, 30 years old. So you can kind of do a little bit of detective work and try to figure out how old somebody might be. And then you might be able to figure out whether they might be having some of these symptoms themselves. So that's number one. While you're looking at websites, Google, 
I hate to say, because it can be a little bit of a nemesis for physicians with patient reviews online, but overwhelmingly, a really good provider is going to have the vast majority of reviews being very positive. So you can check on Google and see what other people's experiences have been. Now, always take the negative ones with a little bit of a grain of salt, but if you see a pattern of negativity or a pattern of perhaps not spending enough time with you or not valuing hormone replacement or those type of really important things, that's a great reason to start looking somewhere else. So a little bit of internet research, find out their age, if they're in your area, if they're a woman that helps too, a little bit of Google review. Now you've narrowed down a little bit to perhaps a group of physicians that you might want to pay attention to interviewing a little bit more closely. And I do mean interviewing because this person works for you. When I'm your provider, I am your employee. You are interviewing me to see if we're a good fit. And so it's absolutely appropriate to interview several doctors. And I really recommend it unless you already have the perfect doctor at your fingertips and lucky you if that's the case. So now you've narrowed it down. You've got two or three or four possible choices. They all look good on paper. Now it's time to look a little bit closer. Now this is not necessary, but I think it's very helpful if that physician is a member of the North American Menopause Society. Now you can look that up on menopause.org. We'll put the link below. If you just search North American Menopause Society, you'll find the website and you can actually type in your zip code and find a list of providers who have had at least some specialty training in the field of menopause. Now I'll tell you, it's very easy to be a North American Menopause Society member. In fact, all you need to do is write a check. You don't really need to know anything. There's a higher level of membership, which is being a provider that does require taking a pretty extensive exam. I took it again myself and I was pretty impressed with how extensive it was. It does ask a lot of really difficult questions and does require that the physician actually studies and learns a lot. So if they're a North American Menopause Society member, and eh, that just means they paid an annual fee, but if they've got that higher level certification, at least you know that they have really put some time into learning about menopause. So that's not a deal breaker because frankly, it took me quite a few years to get around to taking that test. It was, you know, time consuming and a kind of a little bit of a pain in the neck, but I, I'm really glad that I did it because it does add a bit more credibility if patients are looking for somebody who really believes in taking care of menopausal women at the highest level. So that's a little possible extra check in the box for that provider. Now, I'm only as good as my office staff. You could have the best physician in the world, but if they've got not enough people answering the phones, if they don't return phone calls in a timely manner, if they don't have a way to access stuff through email or through a portal or some type of convenient method of communication, that's a bit of a red flag too, because there's nothing worse than having the whole experience fall apart because you waited too long on the phone, nobody called you back. God forbid you show up at the office and they've got that sliding glass window where nobody talks to you behind the window and they're all talking about the movies on the other side and you feel completely shut off. That's not acceptable for me and I would say it shouldn't be for you either. And thank goodness we're moving away from that kind of us and them physician patient environment in the doctor's office. But the next step is evaluating whether they have the support structure to make your visits really worthwhile. So if you make a phone call to make an appointment for a consultation, 
And this is what I would say. I would say, I want to come in to talk to Dr. Jones to find out if she's going to be a good fit for me. And of course, I'm willing to pay the consultation fee for that amount of time. But I have some questions that I'd like to ask her, and I'd like to make an appointment for that, please. So if that doesn't go well, I'd probably just call it off right there. If you wait on the phone too long, if the person is like, well, we don't really do that. Um, we only do well woman exams and, and pap smears. We don't have a consultation. That indicates a little bit of lack of flexibility and understanding that will bite you in the rear later if you continue that relationship. So make the phone call, see how that goes. If that all goes well, now you've got your appointment. Hopefully you didn't have to wait too long. But I wouldn't always put a red flag against a physician who has a very long wait time because you know what that means, right? They're really popular. And once you get in the door, if that is the case, for example, if you were coming to see me, it is possible that you might wait two months or more. But once you are an established patient, it is much easier to get an appointment. So don't don't rule that out altogether. It doesn't mean that that person is inaccessible. It just means they're popular. So if you have time to wait, that yeah, that's not necessarily a bad thing. On the other hand, if they can get you in tomorrow or in the next five minutes, that could be a red flag too, because why don't they have enough patients to fill their schedule? So don't take any of that as black and white truth, but those are all just little things that I factor in when I'm making my doctor's appointments. And as somebody on the inside, those can be tips that tell you something about how the office runs. If they can get you in immediately, maybe they don't keep their appointments on time and they just see way too many patients and you'll end up waiting a long time. But if you're prepared to give it a try and you're feeling good about that initial interaction, next step is to go into the office. So here you are on your visit day to have your consultation to meet with your hopefully new midlife wellness specialist. Assess the office. How's the waiting room decorated? Is it clean and tidy? It says a lot about somebody if they run the office themselves and they're not working for a big hospital system or something like that, perhaps they don't have this degree of control. But it says a lot about somebody, how they organize the environment around them. Do the staff have nice uniforms? Is it clean and tidy? Is it pretty? Do they have nice music playing? Have they gone the extra step to add those extra touches to make you feel comfortable? Most importantly, are they polite and welcoming when you arrive? If there is a way, do they apologize appropriately, tell you how long it's going to be, keep you updated? Those things happen sometimes, but I personally don't mind waiting. So long as somebody tells me how long it's going to be, that makes the world of difference, right? All right, so we've passed through all of that. Everything's going well so far. And now we get called back to meet with this wonderful doctor who's going to be taking care of you. Now, you've already done some research and you've learned that this is a highly trained gynecologist. Now it could be a physician from a different field. There are some doctors in other fields like endocrinology or even family practice or general medicine that do choose to specialize in menopausal medicine, but most likely they would be a gynecologist by training. And I would see what environment they set up for you to meet. Do you sit together on a couch and chat? Or do you go directly into an exam room where you're naked wearing a paper gown when, remember, you didn't even need an exam. You're just there for a consultation. And have they taken into account that that's what you're there for and made you comfortable in that setting? So for a consultation, 
doesn't have to be done this way. I don't practice the only way of practicing medicine, but I think it's really lovely to sit down with a patient in her clothes and have a talk like on the couch face to face and just talk about what's going on, ask a lot of questions, find out what she needs, and then work to create a customized plan to achieve those goals. So that's what you're hoping to get out of this visit. And let's see if that happens. Allow the conversation to proceed spontaneously for a little bit. She'll ask you some questions about your medical history and what your symptoms are. Uh, you hope she asks you what your symptoms are. I would expect that if you're perimenopausal or menopausal, there should be a rather long conversation about exactly what your symptoms are. Not just glossing over that. So that needs to be part of the conversation. If that's not offered, you need to volunteer them. If you're having hot flashes, night sweats, weight gain, joint pain, mood swings, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, all the common menopause symptoms, those need to be discussed. And the doctor's responsibility is to bring those up so that it's easy for you to discuss them. Now, if she doesn't talk to you about really important, potentially difficult things to talk about, like your sex drive, how's your sex life? How do you feel about your relationships? Really importantly, talk to you honestly about your weight. If your weight is a problem, which so commonly it is, you cannot imagine the number of doctors who just do not want to talk about it because it's a difficult conversation. They don't want to offend you. But if you are overweight and you know that you are, and that's an important part of your health that you want to get under control and the doctor doesn't ask you about it, uh, that's a bit of a red flag and you're going to have to bring it up. What about my weight? Can you help me with that? I know that my weight is one of the biggest barriers I have to maintaining optimal health. Can you help me with that? And I hope the answer would be yes. So again, we've got to be our own advocate. Uh, we can't expect people to be perfect. And if they're not offering you exactly what I'm suggesting, just jump in there and advocate for yourself. Throw those questions out yourself and see what the response is. Read the person's face. If they're fidgety and looking at their watch and can't wait to get out of the room because they've got five other patients waiting and they're not looking directly at you and being completely present with you in that moment, is this somebody that you want to walk with for the rest of your life on your journey? Probably not. And it's absolutely fine to listen to your intuition, listen to your heart. If this is not going well, just get the heck out of there and move on to the next person. We're conditioned as women our age, I know I was, to be so respectful. And of course, I do want you to be respectful, but to be so respectful of physicians just based on their title that we would basically put up with anything that they did and believe anything that they said. But remember, we're just two human beings and you are interviewing someone who you need to help you no different than you would interview any other helping professional to get you where you need to go. Okay, so we're just going to assume this is just going great. She's asking you all the right questions. She's really engaged and interested in what you're talking about. Now we're going to get onto the topic of hormone replacement. I'm just going to assume that if you're watching this video, that you are somebody who is interested in finding a doctor who's going to support you throughout your life with bioidentical hormone replacement. So if she doesn't launch into a speech about that on her own, these are some really important questions that I would ask. Number one, 
Do you support me being on hormone replacement throughout my life? The answer should be yes. <laughs> With a few exceptions. Of course, if you were to actively get breast cancer, we'd take you off the hormones for a short while. But in general, the answer is yes. I support you taking hormones throughout your life preferably starting within the first five or at least 10 years of menopause and then not stopping. We keep taking it throughout the lifespan and all of the science supports that now. So if she says, no, I do not support that. I don't think you should be taking hormones. They're dangerous. They cause breast cancer, heart disease, stroke. Your mother had breast cancer, so it's not safe for you. You can take them, but only for five years. You need to stop them when you're 60 or any other non-scientific, I will just say nonsense like that, I would just respectfully say that that's not your opinion and that would be a great time to move on and go to the next appointment. So will you support me in taking hormones throughout my life, number one? If she says no and you feel like getting a little chatty, I would say why? Uh, what evidence do you have to support that decision? And if the only evidence that she can come up with is the Women's Health Initiative study that was published literally 20 years ago in the summer of 2002, and she has not read anything for the last 20 years, that's another red flag that you need to get out of there. I would ask her, are you aware of the research about hormone replacement recently, including things like estrogen, reducing the risk of osteoporosis, Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, colon cancer, improving sexual health, etc. And are you aware of the recent literature on testosterone reducing the risk of breast cancer and osteoporosis, as well as multiple studies showing that testosterone improves sexual function for postmenopausal women? If she says, yes, I'm aware of that, great. If she were to say, I don't believe in that. Testosterone is not for women. It's dangerous. It's bad. What she's saying is she has not read that literature. And this is not a doctor that I would want to continue being my primary advisee on hormones. Even in the North American Menopause Society textbook, which is pretty old fashioned and conservative, let's face it. Even in that textbook, they acknowledge that testosterone has in every study done been shown to improve sexual function for women. And the recent studies on breast cancer reduction, uh, granted, are quite new, so they haven't made it into the mainstream literature, but they're out there. If you just went on Google, you would find them. And I recommend that you do that. You can find a lot of great articles looking at Dr. Rebecca Glazer's website, G-L-A-S-E-R, which is Millennium Wellness. We'll put the link to that below. Dr. Glazer is a fantastic breast oncologist who spent much of her life studying testosterone in relation to breast cancer. So just as a side note, if you ever need some ammunition to give to your providers regarding not only the safety of testosterone, but particularly in regards to reducing the risk of breast cancer, that is a very great place to start because chances are Dr. Glazer was either the primary author or one of the researchers on any study about that topic. So... You can ask those couple of questions and then see where it goes from there. If you have a doctor who is, yes, I am absolutely willing to support you being on hormone replacement throughout your life. I know a little bit about testosterone. Maybe I'm just learning about it, but I'm open-minded. 
Or perhaps even, you know what, I don't know about that, but I'm willing to explore that with you. I'm willing to read the papers that you bring me and we can look at those together. That's a perfectly wonderful answer because not everybody has completed their educational journey with hormones yet, but if they're open to it and they're willing to work with you and listen to your opinions, that's good enough for me. If you find someone who shuts you down and says that you are wrong and they are right, I would walk out of the door very, very quickly. So I think those are the two most important questions that I would ask any doctor who was anticipating being my midlife wellness expert. Now, that might be enough for you. If you've got a really good feeling at that point, you know, maybe it's time to engage in a relationship. Part of that relationship, in my opinion, needs to involve them checking your hormones. Many doctors don't want to do that. It's just a mysterious thing. And I was trained that way back in the old days. We were taught that there's no point in checking a postmenopausal woman's hormones because they're going to be zero. That was what I was taught, and I repeated it many times. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone are probably all going to be zero or close to it, so why even check? Well, that is just not even true, <laughs> because when we check hormones on postmenopausal women, frequently those hormones are not zero. Now, they are going to be low, and very often they are zero, but we can make estrogen in our peripheral tissue and our body fat we do continue to make a little bit of testosterone from our ovaries, even from our adrenal glands. And we metabolize some of that testosterone into estrogen in some cases, if it's enough. So I think checking hormones is really important. And then in my opinion, this midlife wellness specialist that we're uh, trying to find is not only looking at your hormones, she's also looking at your general wellness. So Perhaps you've had this done somewhere else or she would need to do it herself. We need to look at your lipid panel to see if you're at risk for heart disease. We need to look at your diabetes screening, see if you are insulin resistant. Of course, check your kidney function, liver function, basic levels of uh, micronutrients like ferritin, vitamin D, vitamin B12. And of course, looking at your thyroid in great detail. So just a little word on thyroid. If your doctor checks your thyroid and they only check something called TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone, that is not enough. That's the traditional way we were trained. So just a quick note on TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone is a pituitary hormone. It comes from our brain. It has one purpose in life, which is to stimulate your thyroid gland. So when it sees that your thyroid levels are low, it starts to go up. So a high TSH or a rising TSH, even if it's gone up from last year and the year before, indicates that your thyroid gland in your neck, which controls your metabolism, is slowing down. However, sometimes your TSH doesn't go up enough to raise a red flag, or sometimes it doesn't go up much at all because various thyroid dysfunctions don't elevate the TSH. So you really need to have someone look into your thyroid in more detail and check your free circulating hormone levels. We have two hormones that we make in our thyroid. They're called T4 and T3. Most of the T3 is actually made from conversion of T4. However, we need to know what the levels of T4 and T3 are in your blood, not just how your brain is responding to it. So make sure somebody checks that. And the most common cause of low thyroid is an autoimmune condition that's called 
Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's a long name. What that means is in those cases, you would have some antibodies in your bloodstream that actually attack the thyroid function. So checking the Hashimoto's antibody, it's called TPO or thyroid peroxidase is really important also. So that should be part of any thyroid panel. So I think it's absolutely fine to ask what is on the blood panel that we're going to do today? May I make sure that it has everything on it that I want? And those could be the things that I just listed. And if they're not willing to adjust their panel or add something, if that's not in their typical menu, to me, that shows a little bit of inflexibility. I'll always add a lab if a patient wants to order it. It's your blood. It's your insurance company. You can get whatever lab work that you want. Why on earth would a doctor control what labs you want to have done? It's completely harmless. And it's up to you. You're the one in control of your body. So I think they need to do lab work, and I think they need to do quite a lot of lab work, such as that that I mentioned. And if they're not willing to do that, I would just wonder why, like, are we going to get into trouble later with you not doing what I want? <laughs> now, our job as physicians is not to give you whatever you want, but simply to give you our best advice and to allow you to make the ultimate choice because it's your body, it's your life. So I think that's very important as well. So once they agree to do the lab work, how do they assess it? What estrogen levels are you looking for? when I'm treated, assuming that I'm going to take hormone replacement. Tell me the levels that you're looking for. Uh, what do you consider to be optimal? Same with testosterone. What levels do you consider to be optimal? I want to know what you're looking for so that I don't get into trouble with somebody giving me too much of anything or too little of anything. A common argument, and I had the same argument myself, this is how we were taught in traditional medicine, was that we give the minimum amount of estrogen to make the patient's symptoms go away. Who cares what the lab is? That was what I was taught. Now, the problem with that thought process is that sometimes symptoms go away by themselves with no estrogen at all. And sometimes symptoms go away with a very tiny bit of estrogen that is not a high enough level in the blood to achieve all of the health benefits that we know that estrogen can provide. So you know, kind of guideline rule of thumb is to keep the blood levels of estradiol. So estradiol is the estrogen that we're talking about when we're talking about hormone replacement. It's the primary estrogen that we make from our ovaries. Want it to be about 40 to 80, something in that range. As long as it's in that range, it will control the symptoms that we dislike, like the hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness. And it's also going to be enough to support your bone health, brain, heart, colon cancer reduction, vaginal dryness, all of those great things. So not only are you going to draw the blood, but what are you going to do with the results? If it's too high, what do we do? If it's too low, what do we do? Do we have a plan for me that's customized just to me that's going to keep me in optimal health? So those are some really important questions. So that conversation is probably going to take at least 30 minutes, maybe longer. So from the outset, if you sense that the doctor has 10 minutes to spend with you, this is not going to be someone who will be available to take care of your menopausal health throughout your life, because these things do take time. And when we start talking about questions to do with sexual function, orgasmic potential, vaginal dryness. Those are long conversations that really do take 
a lot of time and a lot of concentration. So assess the amount of time that the doctor seems to have, and that could rule a doctor out pretty quickly as well. So I think those are some of the most important tips. And if your person that you're interviewing has made it through that gauntlet, and I am kind of joking because we don't want to torture these poor people. They are there to help you. But, and you have the right to choose and you have the right to interview a physician and find out if they are the right person for you. Because the bottom line is it's a personality match. You know, I've seen some doctors, I just didn't like them. They probably don't like me either. It just wasn't a good personality match. There may be nothing more to it than that. The energy just wasn't right. And it wasn't somebody that I want to spend a lot of time with. So you'll get that feeling pretty quickly when you meet the person. You know, above all, it's a relationship. And all relationships need to start with good communication, focusing, looking you in the eye, giving you the appropriate amount of time, and being more interested in being curious than being right. And I use that with all relationships, and it's no different in the doctor-patient relationship. Your provider needs to be more interested in being curious about learning about you, about learning about the literature, about the science, about things that are maybe different from the way they were traditionally trained, and less interested in being right and just saying, no, you can't take hormones because I read 20 years ago they caused breast cancer or that type of thing. So that's what I have for you today. I do hope you find it useful couple of really good resources, North American Menopause Society below. If you are interested in pellet therapy, you can look on the biot.com website, which is B-I-O-T-E.com below. You can search for a provider who's trained in pellet therapy through their website. Another very good pellet company called Evexapel, E-V-I-X-E-P-E-L. We'll put that link below. Also has a list of providers who offer that uh, brand of pellet therapy, which is also excellent. Um, that way you can find doctors who you know have spent a significant amount of time learning about this in order to give you the best care possible. So if you like this episode today, please don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe right here, share it with your friends, and I can't wait to see you next week. Mm-hmm.